Good morning. See a number of visitors here with us this morning, and I want to welcome you especially. Glad that you're here with us uh, and just worshiping the Lord and, and hearing His Word together for corporate worship. We are thankful we can gather during uh, the, the pandemic and the restrictions, and I just want to thank you that, that you've come to join us. Uh, we have uh, by the back door a box that says giving on it. Uh, I don't want to ask you to give to that box, but I do want to ask you to look next to that box. There's a little card for visitors that you can fill out your name, information, the way we can contact you, how, how we can pray for you. We would love to do that if you're visiting with us just so we can uh, connect with you better and encourage you and, and seek to know how we can serve you and your family. Uh, we desire to minister to you as you seek to uh, know and follow Christ. And so I uh, just want to point you to that before you leave today. And again, we're, we're glad you're here. Um, also, I want to welcome back just a, a few families. I see, I see uh, Jennifer here this morning. It's really good to have you back. I know you've had a, a time with your knee, and it's good to see you here and standing. And uh, we do have some families that are traveling and, and are, are out sick right now, just so continue to pray for them and, and reach out to those that you uh, don't see here this morning. And, and let's continue to, to pursue each other that way as members. Now, before we open up uh, the Word of God this morning, I brought a different book. Frog and Toad Together. Anyone read Frog and Toad before? Raise your hand. Okay, these are wonderful books. I want to read a story to you this morning called Cookies. Toad baked some cookies. These cookies smell very good, said Toad. He ate one, and they taste even better, he said. Toad ran to Frog's house. Frog, frog, cried Toad. Taste these cookies that I've made. Frog ate one of the cookies. These are the best cookies I've ever eaten, said Frog. Frog and Toad ate many cookies, one after another. You know, Toad, said Frog with his mouth full, I think we should stop eating. We will soon be sick. You're right, said Toad. Let us eat one last cookie, and then we will stop. Frog and Toad ate one last cookie. There are many cookies left in the bowl. Frog said, Toad, let's eat one very last cookie, and then we will stop. Frog and Toad ate one very last cookie. We must stop eating, cried Toad as he ate another. Yes, said Frog, reaching for a cookie. We need willpower. What is willpower, asked Toad. Willpower is trying hard not to do something that you really want to do, said Frog. You mean like trying not to eat all these cookies, asked Toad. Right, said Frog. Frog put the cookies in a box. There, he said. Now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can open the box, said Toad. That's true, said Frog. Frog tied some string around the box. There, he said, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That's true, said Frog. Frog got a ladder. He put the box up on a high shelf. There, said Frog, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can climb the ladder and take the box down from the shelf and cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That's true, said Frog. Frog climbed the ladder and took the box down from the shelf. He cut the string and opened the box. Frog took the box outside. He shouted in a loud voice, Hey, birds, here are cookies. Birds came from everywhere. They picked up all the cookies in their beaks and flew away. Now we have no more cookies to eat, said Toad sadly. Not even one. Yes, said Frog, but we have lots and lots of willpower. <laughs> you may keep it all, Frog, said Toad. I'm going home now to bake a cake. We need willpower. When we are faced with something that we want, something that we know we shouldn't have, we need willpower. And we can try many, many ways to 
to keep ourselves from that thing that we want that we should not have, but the reality is we will always find a way unless we get willpower, unless we, we find it within us to say no to that thing. We will always find a way. This is, this is temptation. This is what temptation is. Temptation is, is holding out something to us that, that looks good, that seems pleasant, that seems desirable, that we want and that we know we shouldn't have, we know we, we should not give in to. And like Frog and Toad, we often give in anyways. We, we need to find the will to say no when temptation comes. Go over your Bibles now to the Gospel of Matthew. We're in a series called Following the Fulfillment through this Gospel. This Gospel holds out Jesus to us as the fulfillment of the story of Israel, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and it calls us to follow Him as His disciples. We're in chapter 4 this morning. Last week we finished chapter 3, and we were looking at Jesus' baptism. And to sum up what we saw last week, when Jesus was baptized, He wasn't baptized because He had any sin that He needed to repent of. He wasn't baptized uh, because... Uh, of the way others were baptized who were coming to confess and repent and live a new life. No, Jesus was righteous already. Jesus' baptism was different. Jesus was being baptized to embrace God's calling on him to be the suffering servant. Jesus was baptized to, to be identified alongside sinners and to embrace as the Son of God his calling to suffer for those sinners. In, in his baptism, when Jesus came up from the water, the Spirit of God descended on him and rested on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And, and in that moment, God identified Jesus as the unique Son of God. And, and, and yet, he gave him his Spirit for the mission of the servant of the Lord. Which in the Old Testament, that mission for the servant of the Lord was to represent Israel and then to die for the sins of Israel and to make atonement for their sins. So, so last week we saw Jesus embracing this mission. In being baptized, Jesus was saying to the Father, I, I embrace, as your son, I embrace your calling to be the suffering servant. It, it began his ministry uh, publicly in the Gospel of Matthew. That's what we saw last week. Now, this week, here's what we're going to see in the temptation of Jesus. We're going to see Satan come to this very same Son of God and try to get him to abandon his mission. Last week was Jesus embracing the mission of the suffering servant. This week is the devil seeking to get Jesus to abandon the mission. To say, you are the Son of God, why should you be the suffering servant? Why should you follow that path? Let's read Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. 
Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I just want to walk through what happens here first, and, and then we're going to ask a few questions at the end of the message. But, but this story is a story of three temptations that come to Jesus. He's baptized, he receives the Spirit, he gets this, this, this voice of affirmation from heaven itself, the Father saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased, and then immediately the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This began with a period of 40 days and 40 nights fasting. And this, this is the understatement of all time, right? After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I'm hungry after 40 minutes, right? Jesus has been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He is hungry. Jesus is fully human. He, he has full humanity. He experiences hunger just like the rest of us do. He's not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, and it's in this position, in the desert, in hunger, that the tempter, the devil, Satan, the adversary that first appears in the Garden of Eden, comes to Jesus. And he says to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, Satan does not doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. Satan is not asking Jesus to prove he's the Son of God. Here's what Satan is doing in these temptations. He, he is saying, if you're the Son of God and surely you are, then why don't you act like it? Why don't you claim the rights of the Son of God? Why don't you claim the prerogatives of the Son of God? Why don't you claim the power of the Son of God? You're hungry. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? This is a temptation for Jesus to use his, his power as the Son of God Freely to serve himself. Now on the, on the face of it, what's, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with Jesus turning these stones into bread and eating? What's wrong is that Jesus has just embraced the call to be the servant of the Lord. And Jesus will not do anything unless the Father speaks it to him. And so Jesus answers by quoting scripture. Jesus answers by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus responds by quoting scripture and saying that there is more to life than food. By saying that I need more than physical sustenance. I need the words of God and I need to obey the words of God. In another place in John, Jesus says that his food was to do the will of God. Jesus lived to please his Father. Jesus lived to hear and obey the words of his heavenly Father. And so he resists this first temptation that Satan gives him. And he says, I will, I will not take on the prerogative in my own will to turn these stones into bread. I will not serve myself. I did not come to serve myself. And I will not use my power as the Son of God unless the Father calls me to do so. Second temptation, the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. So we move from the wilderness now to the pinnacle of the temple. Uh, Jesus is in a very high place looking down very far. That's the picture we're supposed to have. Picture someone at the top of a skyscraper, uh, the Willis Tower in Chicago. You can stand in a glass box and look down to the ground underneath. That's this kind of image we're getting here. Jesus is very high, looking very low from the pinnacle of the temple. And again, Satan says to him, if you are the son of God... Throw yourself down, 
For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. So Satan takes him here and, and, and says, throw yourself down. Then he quotes scripture. Satan quotes scripture to Jesus. Satan knows what the Bible says. He quotes scripture and he says, he says from Psalm 91, there, didn't God say that he's going to protect you, that he's going to, to not let harm come to you? If you're the son of God, and again, Satan's not doubting that he is, he's, he's, he's assuming that he is and saying, that, then why don't you do this? Now, this temptation might be a little bit harder to understand at first. You, you, you wonder why, why would it be tempting to Jesus to, to listen to this? But here is what I think is happening, is that the temptation is not so much to prove anything. The temptation is to coerce God into acting on his behalf. Let's listen to one commentator. It is a temptation to manipulate God, to create a situation not of God's choosing, in which God would be required to act as Jesus dictated. See, see, see this promise is true. God, God would protect Jesus. And yet it is not Jesus' place to make that decision. Jesus has embraced the mission of the servant. Jesus will be, will be submissive to the will of the Father. And it is not his place to, to put God in a position where he is forced to act. It, it is his place to trust exactly what the Father calls him to do. And so Jesus responds to Scripture falsely, used with scripture correctly used. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, he quotes scripture from Deuteronomy 6, 16. He says, says, it is not for me to coerce the hand of God. It is not for me to test God. And he resists the second temptation. Again, we see this theme emerging that Jesus, he, he is the son of God, yet he's refusing to count those privileges as his own. He's refusing to to act out of the privileges of his deity, but he is living as the servant which he has just embraced himself to be. And this becomes clearest in the third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, so we've moved from the wilderness to the pinnacle of the temple to a high mountain. We don't know where this is. It's possibly a vision of some sort because from this mountain, Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He, show, he shows Jesus the, the, the majestic world and, and everyone in it. And he says to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, this raises a few questions first. Was this Satan's to offer? Well, there's a sense in which it was. The Bible says that Satan is the prince of this world. That is just now. That is just for a time. Satan rules this world now and for a time. But God says in his word in Psalm 2, which, which refers to the Son of God, it says that, that God will give the Son, the King of Israel, he will give the nations as his inheritance. So, so, so the Son of God, this is a reward that God promises to him, the nations as your inheritance, the, the world as your inheritance. And yet here's what Satan's doing. He's, he's saying to Jesus, you can have it all now and bypass all the suffering." You don't need to go the way of not having a place to sleep. You don't need to go the way of hunger. You don't need to go the way of rejection. You don't need to go the way of betrayal. You don't need to go the way of scourging and mocking and suffering and dying on a cross. You can have it all now if you will fall down and worship me. Again, he's saying, you're the son of God. This should be yours. Why should you suffer? 
He's calling Jesus to abandon the mission. But Jesus, again, this time rebuking Satan, be gone, Satan, quotes scripture, Deuteronomy 6. For you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Jesus is devoted to the Lord. He uses scripture to say that, that there is no path you could offer me that I will take if it means compromising my singular worship of the Lord. Him only shall you serve. I am his servant. I have embraced the mission to be the servant of the Lord, and he is the only one I will serve. And after these three temptations, the devil leaves him, and in a little bit of irony, after Satan said, won't the angels come to you and save you if you throw yourself down? Now the angels do come to him, and they minister to his needs. So that's the story. Three temptations. Jesus, Satan seeking to get Jesus to abandon the mission, to, to go a different path, to, to, not, to not walk the road of the suffering servant, to, to consider the prerogatives of being the Son of God as, as his own, in such a way that he would disobey the Father and not embrace the mission. But Jesus withstands the temptation three times over. Now we want to ask why. And specifically, look at verse 1 again. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Satan didn't just find Jesus and start tempting him. No, the Spirit led Jesus to this place in order to be tempted by the devil. This was the will of God for Jesus in this moment. The will of God for Jesus in this moment was that he would experience these temptations. And, and that, of course, leaves us with a huge question. Why? Why was this the will of the Father? In the moment that Jesus receives the Spirit, in the moment that he is affirmed as the beloved Son, the very first thing we see is Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And this is where we want to spend the rest of our time. Why did the Spirit lead Jesus to be tempted? And there are two reasons that scripture gives us. They both are clearly seen later in the book of Hebrews and explaining the temptation. First, so that Jesus could truly represent us. Why did the Spirit lead Jesus to be tempted? So that Jesus could truly represent us. And, and here's the thing, behind this temptation, behind this story, there are several other stories of temptation in the scriptures. This is not just happening in a vacuum, but in, in the first few verses we see allusions to previous stories. He's in the wilderness. It reminds us of Israel in the wilderness. He's being tempted by the devil. It reminds us of the Garden of Eden, fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Again, 40 years in the wilderness. The, the, the Son of God, the, the, the King of Israel, the, the Davidic King is, is now reliving these, these previous experiences. So let's just think about them, just in turn. First, the temptation in the garden of Adam. Remember, last week we saw that Adam was, in a very real sense, the first son of God. Scripture tells us that Adam was made in the likeness of God, in the image of God, that when he fathered a son, that son was made in his likeness, which, which shows us that to be made in the likeness of God is to, is to, in a way, be the son of God and to reflect who God is to others. This, this was Adam's calling, and yet we all saw last week, Adam failed miserably in this calling. In the Garden of Eden, and just see the contrast. Adam's in the Garden of Eden, a perfect world. Everything you could ever want. No hunger at all. 
Jesus is in the wilderness. Nothing's there. Bashing 40 days and 40 nights, hungry. And yet the temptation comes to Adam to eat the one fruit that God had given him not to eat. The serpent came to him and his wife, and, and what did they do? They, they listened. They allowed Satan to, to distort the words of God, and they gave into the temptation, and they, and they fell into sin. Jesus, in the same exact situation, except worse by far. He's, he doesn't have everything. He has nothing. He's, he's hungry, yet, yet he would not turn stones into bread. So Jesus, Jesus fulfills and, and, and represents and, and does what Adam didn't do in the garden. Think about Israel in the wilderness. God had rescued Israel from Egypt. And again, Israel also was called to be the son of God. He, they, were, they were called to represent God. And, and it was through Israel that God was going to bless the nations and bring, bring redemption. And, and yet Israel saved from Egypt through all these powerful miracles and these, these, these plagues on the Egyptians, and then the Red Sea. And now they're before the Lord in the wilderness. And the first thing they do is they start complaining about being hungry and saying, we should go back to Egypt. Why did God bring us out here? It would be better if we just died there than here. And, and, and just complaining to the Lord. And throughout their history, this, just, this pattern just continued over and over again. Israel, again, failed miserably when they were tempted. And yet Jesus now, in the wilderness, not for 40 years, but fasting 40 days and 40 nights in hunger, does not complain, does not sin, does not fall. And then Jesus, we've seen in Matthew, is, is, is the son of David. He is the Davidic king. He is, he is the one that fulfills the Davidic covenant. And, and so we think back to David's temptation. God had made a covenant with David. God had given him an everlasting kingdom. God had given him success and prosperity. And yet David goes on his roof. He sees Bathsheba. His, her husband is on the battlefield, one of, one of David's most loyal men, fighting his wars. And David takes his wife, commits adultery with her. When she's pregnant, he murders the husband. He gives into temptation. Again, he fails miserably. And yet now we have the son of David, the true son of David, resisting temptation. You know, all these stories in the Old Testament, you know, the way that we maybe have heard them in the past is, is don't be like Adam, don't be like David, don't be like Israel, don't complain, don't sin, don't listen, don't do these things, but, but here's what the stories are actually meant to tell us, is, is that you are Adam, you are Israel, you are David. See, there's not just stories of their temptations, it's really stories of our temptations. I don't, I don't need to convince any, any one of you this morning that you have given in to temptation that you found yourself unable to resist something that you know you should not do. You have sinned against the goodness and mercy and grace of God when sin has presented itself to you. We all give in to temptation. And this is why the Spirit led Jesus to be tempted, because Jesus needed to represent us. Let's think about this for a minute. Jesus, for eternity past, was eternally righteous. He, he's always been righteous. And when Jesus uh, incarnated as the Son of, of God and took on human flesh, Jesus was righteous his whole life. At this point in Jesus' ministry, even at the baptism, God said, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus was righteous. But, but yet, his righteousness at this point was not 
what it needed to be. Why not? Why, why could Jesus not have died right after the baptism for our sins? And here's why. Because he didn't just need a, a perfect righteousness. He needed a representative righteousness. Jesus needed to meet our unrighteousness with righteousness. He needed to be righteous in every way that we were unrighteous. This is the way that Hebrews 2.17 says it. It says, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So he had to be made like us in every way, which means he had to go through the same things that we have been through. He had to be tempted in the same ways, and he had to show himself to be righteous at the very moments that Israel, Adam, David, and we have all been unrighteous. Before God, we need a representative righteousness, and Jesus, by being tempted, gives us that. Jesus was not qualified to die for our sins until he had victory over our temptations. Jesus could not crush the head of the serpent until he was tempted by the serpent. That's what this passage is teaching us in Hebrews and in Matthew. Not that he wasn't righteous. He was perfectly righteous, but he needed to represent us perfectly. He needed to, to go through what we have been through and come through unscathed, sinless, victorious in our place. And that is what we see in Matthew 4. Jesus being tempted in all the ways that God's people have been tempted and not sinning. So that then when he went to the cross, he could represent us truly with a righteousness that meets us at every point of our unrighteousness. Jesus gives the exact righteousness that we need. When he died on the cross, he bore all of our unrighteousness. He bore the sins for every one of our failures when temptation has come. He, he bore that for us as the one who didn't fail, as the one who didn't give in, as the one who remained steadfast under temptation. And in him, God gives to us, anyone who has faith in him, who died for our sins and rose again, he gives us that righteousness. He gives us the righteous record of the one who was tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is the righteousness that we receive through Jesus' death and resurrection. This is why the Spirit led Jesus to be tempted, so he could truly represent us. Again, Hebrews 2.17, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The Spirit led Jesus to be tempted so that he could truly represent us. But then here's the very next verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 2.18. Listen to this. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So here's the second reason. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, one, so that he could represent us, but two, so that he could help us. So that he could help us. You see, in representing us, Jesus was tempted and, and he did not fall so that he can represent us and so that he can pay for our failings, so that he can pay for the sins we have committed when temptation came to us and we gave in. Jesus, in not sinning in temptation, now can represent us there. But, but now, as, as we come to him, we're, we're made righteous, we're justified, we're in him, temptation still comes to us, doesn't it? We're still tempted. The minute you become a Christian does not mean temptation stops. If, if anything, it's, it's, it's harder now. now. Now we are aware of the battle. Now we don't, we don't want to sin. We, now we see there's a fight. And, and, and it says that because he was tempted, he is able to help 
those who are being tempted. Jesus was tempted for us not only to be a representative for our past sins, but now to help us in our present fight against sin so that we can be victorious. Listen to this this morning, church. I don't know what temptations are represented in this room, but I know that there are times when when even believers can feel absolutely enslaved to sin. It it feels like it has dominion over you because you've given into it in patterns for long. You can begin to wonder, will I ever be free? Yes, you can be free. Jesus has been tempted. He is able to help you. You do not need to give in to temptation. Jesus is able to help you because he's been there. He's done that, and he's not sinned. Now, I can hear an objection coming like this. Well, he's Jesus, <laughs> right? Like, like, he's Jesus. Of course he didn't sin. It's easy for Jesus to resist temptation. I'm not Jesus. But here's the answer to that. Jesus was fully tempted in his full humanity. See, the Bible tells us that God cannot be tempted. And this is where we need to remember that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, in his deity, Jesus was not tempted. But in his full humanity, Jesus experienced the fullness of temptation just like you and I do. He was tempted not in his divinity, but he is tempted as a human, as a man, just like you and I. Which means then that when we look at Matthew 4, we see a man not sinning. Now again, he's more than a man, but he's not less than a man. This is a a fully human being not sinning when tempted so that he can help us when tempted. And listen to to this quote from C.S. Lewis because it helps us see something here about how Jesus has experienced temptation. C.S. Lewis said this, only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside of us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. Because he fought temptation and because he fought it to the end, he knows better than any of us what it is to be tempted. And he never sinned and he is able to help. And this passage models to us how we fight temptation. And here we can get more practical. We, we see Jesus showing us just very practically the ways that we are to fight temptation. And there are three elements that we see in this passage. The first and most prominent is by the word of God, by the scriptures. I, I mean, I think in my past I've been tempted to undermine this, but, but we should not undermine it. Jesus responded to temptation with scripture. It is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus was meditating on the Bible. He was meditating on the scriptures. He was meditating. All the scriptures come from Deuteronomy 6 through 8. So it's likely that Jesus was, was just recently even meditating on those scriptures and then able to understand them and able to recall them and apply them in the moment to the temptations that were presented to him. Jesus was in the scriptures and he resisted by the word of God. Psalm 119, 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And Jesus models this for us. He, he knew the Bible. And, and listen, he didn't just know the Bible, he understood it. Satan quoted the scriptures to him, right? But Jesus understood that that was not how you use scripture. He's able to say, no, Satan, you're, you're, you're misinterpreting scripture, Satan. 
You're using the Bible all wrong. Here's, here's another scripture that tells me that you are using it. So he understood it. He, he, he was able to apply it. He was able to apply it specifically to each situation. And this, this calls us, church, to be people who know and read and meditate on and understand the Bible. Now, it's possible that you have tried to memorize a verse here and there. I remember when I was in sixth grade, I was taught to memorize that, that if anyone even looks at a woman with lustful intent, he's committed adultery with her in his heart. And, and my Sunday school teacher said, memorize that verse when you're tempted, just say that verse. But you know what? I didn't understand the scriptures. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't have anything to meditate on. I, it, was, it was just a, a magic trick to pull out of my hat when I was tempted that didn't work. No, we need to know the Bible. We need to be people of the book who, who, who read it and meditate on it and, and let it penetrate into our very beings who delight in it and then are able to apply it when the moment of temptation comes. Jesus modeled this for us. We fight temptation by the word, but not simply by the word. We fight, we fight temptation by prayer. By prayer. Now, in this passage, we don't see prayer explicitly, but we see that Jesus was fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And there's no place in Scripture where fasting is separated from prayer. So Jesus was, was fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights leading up to this temptation. And then just a few verses, chapters later, we see in Matthew 6 that he teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, which is a model prayer for all of our lives as Christians, a prayer that should form all of our prayers. One element of it is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So not only did Jesus model it, but then he, he taught, in your prayers, regularly as you pray, pray that God would keep you from temptation. Pray that God would lead you out of evil, deliver you from the evil one. This should be a regular part of our prayers. We, you know, when we pray, we should not just pray for, you know, uh, this is going on and help me with this and help me with this. No, we should pray, God, there's a spiritual war happening and I know that today I'll be tempted because I have sin in me and, and part of me, my old flesh wants to sin. So God, today, help me when temptation comes. Today, lead me not, help me to follow your spirit and not my flesh. And when Satan comes, deliver me from his attempts. We should be praying that way Always, regularly aware of the spiritual war that we are in. Satan is our adversary too. Matthew 26, Jesus said to his disciples, Watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Church, you're weak. We're weak. We're not strong. We won't. We won't succeed, we won't win, we won't be victorious if we don't pray to the one who is strong. If we don't pray to the one who is able to help us. Do you pray for God to not lead you into temptation? Do you pray for God's deliverance? Are you careful to watch the spiritual war that is happening in your life and over your heart all the time? We fight temptation by the word, we fight temptation by prayer, and we fight temptation by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to miss this. Jesus was anointed with the Spirit in his baptism, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus was not operating out of the power of his own divinity. He was operating out of the power of the Spirit resting on him, which is the same Spirit that lives in you and me. And we are to put sin to death by the Spirit. 
Those who follow the Spirit will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We cannot fight sin apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, because we are weak. And when you ask practically, well, how, how, how do I get the Spirit? How do I have more of the Spirit? How do I walk in the power of the Spirit? I want to give uh, maybe a surprising and, and I think very biblical answer to that question. Ephesians 5.18 tells us, be filled with the Spirit, and then immediately calls us to corporate worship, calls us to corporate fellowship, calls us to corporate life. Turn there with me, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 18, we've all heard probably be filled with the Spirit, but, but we don't pay attention enough to the context of what comes next. Ephesians 5, 18, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see here that to be filled with the Spirit means that we are going to come together. We're going to, we're going to sing together. We're going to teach and admonish each other. We're going to pray together. We're going to submit to one another. Being filled with the Spirit re requires that we are living life corporately because we are the temple of the Spirit. Now, each one of us has the Spirit, but do you want to be filled with the Spirit? Do you want to walk in the power of the Spirit? You cannot do it alone. You will not do it alone. And, and this is so applicable to temptation because I will say this, I have never, ever, ever seen someone overcome temptation by themselves. I've never met a Christian that, that knew how to overcome temptation by living it alone, by going it alone, by isolating themselves, by lone rangering it. No, it's, it's together. It's corporate. We are filled with the Spirit together. And so the Word, prayer, Fellowship, these are the means that God has given us to fight temptation. These are the things Jesus modeled, word and prayer and the power of the Spirit, which for us we especially experience through our fellowship with each other. Jesus was tempted to represent us. Jesus was tempted so that he can help us. But I want to be careful here that I don't give the impression that, that if you... Spend 10 minutes reading your Bible, five minutes in prayer, go to church once a week, that you'll, you'll start finding victory. No, it's, not, it's not mechanical. It's not, it's not automatic. It's not how it works. These, these things, these, these things that Jesus models for us are not the ends. They are the means. These are the means through which we come to know and worship Jesus. These are the means through which we come to see and savor him. These are the means through which we come to behold and love him. And it is seeing and knowing and loving Jesus that actually gives us the power to say no to sin. It's what one Puritan called the expulsive power of a greater affection. I, I want this. It looks good to me. I desire it. It's hard to say no, but I want Jesus more. He is better. You see, the verse, worship the Lord your God and serve him only, does nothing for you if you don't actually want to worship him, right? 
How do, so how do you work in your heart so that you want to worship him? You, you know him. You, you look at him. You spend time with him. You pray to him. You fellowship with him. And through these things, through these means that he's given us, we come to, to a place of loving him more. And we realize when temptation comes, I don't want that. I want Jesus. I want him. I want to worship him and serve him alone. And there's nothing else I could want. That's willpower, right? That's the kind of willpower we need. We need it from seeing and savoring Jesus himself. And so I call you to the word, and I call you to prayer, and I call you to be filled with the Spirit through fellowship in corporate worship and and, in the church, but I don't call you to those things as, as magical ends in themselves, but as means to knowing and savoring and beholding and loving Jesus so that we might, just like Jesus, say no when temptation comes. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you equip us through your word to, to know ourselves and to know our hearts, but ultimately, Lord, you, you, you help us to know you through your son. And Lord Jesus, you, you are glorious and you are beautiful and you are amazing that you, though being very God, in eternity, experiencing all the glories of the Son of God, that you would come and you would become a servant in such a way that you would not turn stones into bread to satisfy your own hunger. That you would not make your own plans, but submit to the will of the Father. That you would walk the road of suffering to glory. And all of this for our sake, Lord. All of this to save us from our sins. Father, you promised to Adam and Eve in the garden that a day would come when the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And Jesus, you are that seed. You are the one who crushes the head of Satan, who undoes the curse and all the effects of the fall, who who redeems us from our sin, who empowers us to say no to temptation. And you are our righteousness. And so Lord, as we enter into more corporate worship together this morning, uh, we want to pray that you would uh, fill our minds, fill the eyes of our hearts with a vision of the glory of Jesus, such that when temptation comes, we are equipped to say, I don't want that, because Jesus, you are better, and we want to worship and serve you only. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.